from Scripture this evening. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse 14. That's on page 1005. Page 1005, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. You see the heading above this verse is all things possible. So Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, that is, saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could, not, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Well, my friends, so far the reading of this story from Scripture which will lead us then into the truth that we hope to consider this evening, which again we're moving through our catechism, and we've come now in our study of the Apostles' Creed to this section, I Believe in Jesus. Last time we were privileged to consider God the Father as Creator, and God the Father as the God of Providence. But now God, uh, we consider, we move from God the Father to God the Son. And that is, I believe in Jesus. The Catechism has given us this. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? So the Catechism is going to focus on the meaning of his name. Why is he called Jesus? Because he saves us from our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. And question 30. Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, in themselves, or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No, although they boast of being his, 
By their actions, they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. So this is the old, old story, isn't it, of Jesus as our Savior. And my friends, I'd like to use the scripture that we have before us as an entry into this understanding of who Jesus is to us as a people here this evening. And to all of you who are gathered with us, that we would think this evening about the foundation stone of our faith. Because this is at the very basis of what it means to be a Christian. Who is Jesus to you? Well then, let's take our Bibles and look at Mark chapter 9. And we begin at verse 14. Because we have the disciples and the scribes, again, the, the experts in the Jewish law, arguing with the disciples. Now apparently, my friends, what had happened here is that this man had brought his boy to be healed and the disciples had made the attempt to do it. And they had not succeeded. And the scribes, and perhaps that's part of the dispute there, it's not entirely clear what they're arguing about, but it seems likely that that's part of the dispute. Don't forget that the disciples had been given the power by Jesus to cast out demons on a previous occasion. So the disciples did have the power to cast out demons. Jesus had given them that power in the past. But when this boy comes, the disciples fail. And you can imagine that this must have been a considerable embarrassment to them. And especially with the scribes looking on. Why, why were they not able to throw out the demon from this boy? So it brings me then to my first point here. And the first thing that we encounter in this, in this scripture is impossibility. The impossibility of the situation that meets them. And again, we've already met that because the disciples hit a, a wall, as it were. They're not able to deal with this boy. They are not able to heal him. So you might say, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, this father is already out of options. Now, Jesus represents another option to him. But the, but the man himself, in his anguish, is, is out of options. And my friends, I want to call your attention to the different parts of this text, which you might say make it very clear to us that this is an impossible situation. And again, I, I would ask you and I appeal to you as parents today to look at your children next to you. Do you remember the time when you may have had to take one of your children to the hospital? Maybe they had to have a surgery, a minor or major, or whatever it may have been. And do you remember that moment when they put your child on that uh, bed and they went this way and they said you go that way now I, I speak out of my own personal experience here but maybe you've never experienced that but certainly you've experienced the anguish of seeing your child suffering but how that wrenches at your heart to see your child go to the operating room and you have to go to the waiting room and I think that if we can, uh, this evening, congregation, put ourselves into the shoes of this father who has grown up from childhood with this, with this boy who's obviously having seizures, isn't he? And this demon is in possession of this boy and causing this boy to seize in such a way that he grinds his teeth and he foams at the mouth and all these terrible things that we recognize in those who have seizures. 
But then, let's look at some of the details in this story that you might say bring home to us the impossibility of this situation. So the disciples fail in the first place. But then notice that in verse uh, 21, in verse 21, after the father has brought the boy to Jesus, and this boy is now seizing on the ground, and the demon has slammed him down, says the text, and it's causing him to go into this awful seizure, that Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the answer isn't, you know, for the last week, or well, it's only over the last year that this has been happening, but it's from his childhood. Again, you see how the story, as it's told us here, and as the gospel writer gives it to us, is, is showing us how desperate this situation is, how impossible it is. Then we have, in, the, at the, in verse 25, we are told that when Jesus commands the spirit to come out of him, Jesus says, you deaf and mute spirit, that this boy has been rendered by this demon both deaf and mute. And you know that those two often go together. But again, those details are included in the story, aren't they? Finally, at the end of the story, we find that the child falls down in verse 26. It had become so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. Now you might say the final nail has been pounded in the coffin. I mean, if he's dead, what more can Jesus possibly do? He's gone. It is hopeless. The boy is dead. Now, congregation, I also want to point out to you, why does Jesus not immediately heal this boy? Again, when you put yourself into the shoes of this father, when you feel something of the anguish of what you feel when you see your children being rolled away to surgery, or when you see your children suffering under some kind of sickness or ailment, whatever it may be, even when you see your children in pain, how, 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 what, how, tor how that tortures your heart. And yet Jesus, who is the, 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 the man of infinite compassions and love, he looks at this boy seizing on the ground. The demon has slammed him down. He's stiffened out. He's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turns to the father and says, how long has he done this for? And, and doesn't something rise up within us? Jesus, heal the boy. Look at him. Look at the father in anguish watching his boy thrash about on the ground in agony. Jesus, why don't you stretch out your hand and heal him? Now, my friends, I think there's a principle here. And that is where Jesus finds a sense of need in any person. That sense of need is so valuable that he works to deepen it. Where Jesus finds in any of us a sense of need for him, he works to deepen it. And so you might say Jesus himself, by asking this question, raises the impossibility of this situation even higher. That this isn't a first one-off seizure that this boy has had. But he's been doing this since childhood. And in fact, this demon that's taken possession of this boy has even tried to kill him by throwing him into the fire and throwing him into the water. But Jesus, you might say, works on the heart of this man. You see something similar, right? When the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, she calls out for Jesus. Jesus, have mercy, right? Uh, on my, uh, she's, she's asking that her daughter would be healed. 
And what does Jesus do? He says, I'm not called, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It almost seems as if he pushes her away. But of course, he's not pushing her away. He's drawing her to him. He's working on that sense of need that exists in the heart of his child to bring them to himself. So in the first place then, dear friends, we have this impossibility, but then we have doubt. Doubt in the second place. In Mark 9 and verse 22, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if, do you hear that, dear friends? But if you can do anything, Jesus is just another option And actually, the man probably doesn't have much hope that Jesus will be able to do anything. After all, the disciples failed. No doubt this man has tried every physician, every every man who claims to have any skill in these treatment and these disorders. And everything has failed him. And Jesus is just another option. If you're able to do anything, and you probably can't, please help me. Another option. You see doubt. But if you can do anything. Well, we come then to the third step. Revelation. Revelation. Because now Jesus reveals to this man who he is. A revelation. And look, my friends, at verse 23. Because you have to understand this correctly. Verse 23, And Jesus said to him, If you can. In other words, what Jesus does is he says, He says to the Father, Man, what what are you saying? If you can. It sounds like you don't know who I am. It sounds like you don't understand how things work in the kingdom of God. If you can. Is that all you have to say to me? Verse 23. So Jesus takes it. He says, if you can. And now Jesus, it's as if Jesus says, let me tell you how things work in the kingdom of God. All things are possible to him who believes. You see that saying I put in there from the commentary of Dr. John Gill. I love that so much. As the man put an if on the power of Christ, Christ puts an if on the faith of the man. Do you see that, dear friends? Jesus turns that around. He says to the man, you said, if I can do anything. Let me tell you the real problem here, sir. The real problem is not my power. There's no shortage of power with me. But the real issue here is, do you have confidence in me? To heal your son. Do you have faith and trust in me? The deficiency here is not me. Don't put the if on my power. But put the if on your faith. All things are possible. To him who believes. Why? Because faith joins us to Christ. To the omnipotence. To the power of Christ. That's what faith does. No shortage of power with me. The shortage, the deficiency is with you. And then we see in the fourth place, faith. That this man cries out. What a a revelation that must have been to him. That it was his lack of faith in the Savior which was preventing the healing of his precious child. And he cries out. In fact, we we should read that as he burst out. I believe. And there it is, faith, my friends, in the fourth step here, the fourth thing that we see. Faith. I believe, he says in verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. I do believe. 
Just faith. Just faith. That's all Jesus asks. Confidence in the Savior. Confidence, trust in the power of Jesus. This teaches us so much about faith, doesn't it? Faith. Jesus says on another occasion, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. Faith. Faith joins us to Christ. And because it joins us to Christ, it brings with it all power. And that's the next point there. I'm sorry, that's the the sixth point. We'll get to that. But first, confession. The man says faith. He, he, He says, I believe. But then he quickly follows that up with, help my unbelief. This man immediately recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes what a sorry excuse it was for him not to have faith in Jesus. And he recognizes the weakness and the deficiency of his own faith. And so he makes this confession. Help my unbelief. Oh, pity the thought this man would think in his mind that my unbelief would keep my dear child from being healed. Lord, help my unbelief. How can I overcome this unbelief? I've seen my child. I've seen, and again, you think about the history of this man. All the years that have passed when he saw his son foaming and foaming at the mouth, stiffening out, wallowing and thrashing on the floor, and, and the awful agony that this man must have experienced in his, in his heart and in his soul, as every parent can relate. For how many years he had seen that, and how many years had it been, congregation, that he gave up hope? It's no longer possible for my son to be healed. This is, he's going to die this way. One day this demon will succeed and maybe throw him into a fire and he'll be burned to death. The man gave up hope. It was impossible. Help my unbelief, he says. And my friends, that teaches us something too. That not all faith is strong faith. Not all faith is strong faith. There is also what our fathers called a refuge-taking faith. A refuge-taking faith. Now, congregation, hear me correctly. All faith should be strong faith. There's no question about that. But the experience of our life, and when we come into face-to-face with these impossible situations, our faith begins to waver. Our faith begins to tremble. And even though we can cry out, I believe, we have to follow it up with this confession, help my unbelief. Because our faith trembles. And all we can do is take refuge in the Lord, a refuge-taking faith. We take refuge in the Savior, even when we lack the confidence that Jesus will really be able to heal. Now that's not God-honoring. It shouldn't be that way. But again, in the experience of our life, it often is that way. Weak faith, or a refuge-taking faith. My friends, I come then to the last one, sixth place, power. Because my friends, even weak faith still joins us to Christ. Power. And that's what we see. Jesus cries out there. Jesus speaks. You deaf, in verse 25, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And when the boy falls down as dead, Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up. My friends, that's the power of Christ. 
That's the power of Christ, even for this man, when his faith was so weak, even when he didn't really truly understand who Jesus was, and his faith and his confidence was not perfect, that still faith, even weak faith, joins us to Christ. And it brought the power of Christ, the omnipotence of Christ, to bear upon that demon. And the demon had to go. He was dismissed. Never come back again. And the boy was restored to his father again. Can you visualize that scene in your minds, dear friends? When that father with many tears, no doubt, embraced his son again, delivered from that awful demon. That must have been a moment that he'll never forget. He'll never forget. He saw the power of Christ on display as he had never hoped to see it. My friends, how many lessons there are for us in this passage of Scripture. Especially as we stand before a catechism question and answer that says, Jesus saves us from our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in any one else. You see, my friends, it's one thing to talk about Jesus as Savior. But we sang moments ago in Christ alone. Now that's something different, isn't it? In Christ alone. That's where that man had to be brought in his life. Let me make some points of application on that. I want to again bring back to your minds, my friends, this point of impossible. Impossible. What a necessary place that is for us to come in our life. To stand before the gate of heaven and to see it closed tightly against us. No, that's not a comfortable place to be. But you see, my friends, if we're going to confess that we are trusting in Christ alone, then that means we have nothing in ourselves that would represent that would that would recommend us to God or that would work for our advantage. Something that could, you might say, earn points with God. That means we're cut off completely when we see that our salvation is impossible. We stood before that place when we came to Lord's Day 5 in our catechism. You remember that. In Lord's Day 5, when the instructor, he said, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer was given, God requires that his justice be satisfied. And you remember the next question, can we pay this debt ourselves? No. Can another creature pay this for us? No. You see, my friends, then God brings his people to stand before an impossibility. That my sins call for my judgment. And I must be cast from the presence of God forever and forever. And that that is just. And that if I had to take a pen and I had to see my own death warrant, I would have to sign it. And I would have to say that God is just to cast me from himself forever and forever. This is what my sins deserve. My friends, that, that boy or that father stood before an impossibility. 
And I wonder if, on our, if our, in our own heart's experience we have come to that place in our life. You see, my friends, that's the difference between confessing Jesus as Savior in kind of an easy and almost flippant way and to say that Jesus is my only Savior, that I trust in Christ alone. My friend, let me speak to you this evening. Have you stood before the covenant of works, as we've talked about it in the past, and seen the demands that God makes of us, and recognize that you fail in every respect? And that if it's not for God's grace, and if it weren't for, the, for the, another mediator who could stand between us and God, we would be lost forever. David wrote in Psalm 51, Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done that which is evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You see, David came to that point. He came to that point where he acknowledged that God would be just to cast him out of his presence forever. In Romans 3, verse 19, Paul talks about every mouth being stopped. In other words, we have no defense to make anymore. We have no excuses to offer. We have nothing to say for our own justification. We confess that God is just to cast us from his presence. But my friends, I come now to my second point. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because as we stand before the gates of heaven closed tight against us, now we are in a position, my friends, to hear about Jesus. Now we are in a position to talk of a Savior. And my friends, there is no lack of power with Jesus. And this brings me to that point that Jesus made so beautifully and, and so wonderfully does the gospel teach us these things. Because the man, the Father, put an if on the power of Christ. But this evening, my friends, the gospel comes to you with this, that if you will have Christ as your Savior... And as your only Savior, and if you will believe, and if you will trust in Him, then you can have Him for your Savior. And you don't put the if on the power of Christ. But tonight, the gospel puts an if on your faith. On your faith. And this brings us to examine ourselves, my friends, to examine ourselves as Christians and as those who profess the name of Christ today. You know, there are people who sit in pews for year after year and who claim to be Christians, who think of themselves as Christians, but who come to the realization, and perhaps in their own conscience they know that they're not a Christian. We can talk the language, can't we? We can show up in church, but in our heart of hearts and in our own conscience, we can know that we're not a Christian. There are people in churches who commit sin in their past and who think of themselves as unsavable. They put an if on the power of Christ. My friend, may I speak to you very directly this evening? Are you a Christian? Because tonight the gospel says you can be a Christian. You can know with perfect confidence that all your sins are forgiven. And you sinned worse than you ever can imagine. Your sins pull God off his throne. And your sins make it impossible for you to be saved for anything that you can do yourself or anybody could do for you. But now we come to talk about Jesus. 
And tonight Jesus says, don't put an if on the power of Christ. But put an if on your own faith. My friends, there are no sins that you may have committed in the past that keep you from the kingdom of God. Well, maybe I should restate that. All your sins, even the least sin, will keep you from the kingdom of God. But there is no sin that Christ cannot forgive. I know we tend to think that way sometimes. Oh, if you know what I did. If you know the life that I used to live. If you know where I've been. My friend, I don't need to know where you've been today. Because I'm not going to put an if on the power of Christ to save. But I'm going to tell you that if you will believe, that if this evening you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you will put your hand in His, you will be saved. Do you believe? Are you a believer this evening? And I speak to all the Christians amongst us as well, because this is the same message for all of us. That wherever we may be in our walk with God, do we put an if on the power of Christ? Or do we do what Jesus calls us to do? To put an if on our own faith. All things are possible to the one who believes. But we want to say, not me. Perhaps you've written yourself off. It's impossible for me to ever be a Christian. To ever be saved. I proclaim to you this evening, dear friends, the power of Christ to save. I set before you the cross of Christ and I declare to you in the name of God that every sin can be forgiven, can be canceled because of his power to save. He has the power to forgive every sin and to reconcile you to the Father again. Do you believe it? Are you ready this evening to cast yourself soul and body upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, if you've been a Christian all your life, I ask you the very same question. I ask you this evening, even supposing that you've never been a Christian, are you ready to cast yourself upon Jesus Christ and to entrust yourself to him, body and soul, in life and in death? And to everyone who believes, you have the omnipotent power of Christ to cancel your guilt, and to bring you into the Father's family as an adopted child of the King. My friends, I move to this third application. Jesus, our only Savior. The only Savior. And our catechism puts it to us very starkly this evening that either Jesus saves us entirely or he doesn't save us at all. So really, this is the same message that I've been preaching already. But if you look at question and answer 30, you see the all-important conjunctions in that answer. You see the second sentence there. Either or. Either or. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, and you can only trust Him a little, or... Those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. That is the stark contrast, the stark reality that the Gospel brings us today, both in the Catechism and in the Scripture. That either Christ is not a complete Savior, or we find in Him everything that we need for life and death, for soul and body. This is where the Catechism brings us, my friends, to this point. To this point of Jesus, our only Savior. My friends, the Catechism asks us, 
Will you have Christ this evening on these terms? This, these are the terms of the gospel. Either or. My friend, I don't know where you are today with Jesus Christ, but I would ask you to go to your home and to lay those two words in prayer before the Lord. Either or. Either Christ is your complete Savior or he's not your Savior at all. I remember John Bunyan in his biography. He was living a life of sin and he came to that place in his life where he was playing a game with his friends and suddenly a voice darted into his mind. The impression came upon his head and the expression was this. Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven or have thy sins and go to hell? That's also the expression, my friends, that the gospel brings us this evening. Either or, wilt thou have thy sins and go to hell? Or wilt thou have Christ and go to heaven? Or wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven? Jesus, our only Savior. My friends, there's so much packed into that statement. So much that goes into that. And so many profess Jesus as their Savior in our day. But my friends, let us come before the Lord in a moment of honest self-examination and ask ourselves, is Jesus my only Savior? Is he my only Savior? And my friends, where we can, in good conscience, say that I have given my life to Christ wholly and solely, that my heart is not divided, I've given him everything, I've entrusted my life to him and to him alone then we can glory in the cross of Christ. And we can glory in the salvation that he brings us. We can glory as the hymn says, God forbid that I should glory only in the cross of Christ, only in the lowly Jesus by the high and proud despised. Nor shall any fond ambition turn my heart from him away. I shall know no one but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus every day. None but Jesus crucified, Jesus Christ who for me died. I shall know no one but Jesus, Jesus, every day. My friends, may we glory in the cross of Christ this week. May we glory in Christ, our only Savior. And may we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He's so worthy. May God grant it for his name's sake. Let us pray. Lord, you set before us in such stark contrast the choice that stands before everyone when they come into the presence of Jesus. That either we will have our sins and go to hell, or we will have Christ and leave our sins and go to heaven. That either we find all things in Christ that we need for soul and body, life and death, or Christ is not a perfect Savior. And then he's no Savior at all. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves this evening then. And help us with a fresh and with a new, in a new faith, take refuge in thee. Even, Lord, if we've been a Christian for many years, may we find ourselves, may we bring ourselves, Lord, to cast ourselves entirely upon Christ alone for salvation and confess that we find nothing in anything else but only in Christ. Lord, we pray for those who may not be Christians in our midst. 
We pray for those, Lord, who have perhaps even deceived them with their own selves on this all-important point. And we pray, O Lord, that also they would be disillusioned and that they would come to find refuge in the arms of Jesus. Oh, that they would hear this evening, whosoever will, let him come, let him drink, and let him find life in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would remember us then as a congregation and bind us together in this one confession, solus Christus, Christ alone. Lord, we give ourselves then into your hands this evening and pray that you would bless and keep us and make us to be good and faithful soldiers of our great captain and of our great savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.